Welcome to Talk Town. For more than 17 years, Gary Zerner was at the forefront of steeplechase in Australian athletics. These are some of the moments that make up Gary's life. Welcome, Gary. Thank you. Today, we would like to ask you, what's your earliest memory? My earliest memory? My earliest memory is going to a dentist when I was about four years old and seeing blood in going into the uh, sort of dish next to me. That was about my earliest memory, I think. And um, do you have any memories of like playing in your area where you lived and grew up? Have you got any early fond memories of before like school or kindergarten times? Oh, yes. We had uh, a lot of children in our street and uh, we played a lot of cricket and a lot of football on the road. In those days, you didn't get run over. You just got off the road when the car came and they actually waited for you. Guy Fox night, we'd fire crackers into our neighbour's place and they'd fire them back at us and rockets and whatever leading into it when you could do that a lot of uh, making forts and tree houses and underground forts and all sorts of things we made did you go down the beach very much you you lived quite close to the beach yes we did we we went down on hot days in summer uh, when dad got home from work normally but yes we did but uh, probably not as much as what a lot of people would have as a little kid, did you have sort of memories of your father or your mother, like you were closer to one or the other? Oh, I think I was probably closer to my mum. And she was, uh, they were both pretty sporty when, when they were younger. But uh, dad worked, he was out a lot of the day. He'd come home and play cricket at night or maybe have a kick of the footy, but a lot more so cricket because that was his sport when he was young. And he definitely you know, got involved with us, but mum was around all the time. And uh, what primary school did you go to? I went to Oakland's Primary, which is now Bunnings over at Marion. How did you go to primary school? Were you a, a good academic student or a good sporty child at primary school? I was a very good sporty child. I couldn't. I didn't really have the patience and the maturity to be a very, a very good student. Sorry, I was. I'll change that. I wrote a history book. I loved history. If I loved something, I would did a lot of work in it. I finished the maths book in two terms, in a three-term year, because the teacher would keep telling me to go on with my work. So I, I had this passion to finish the, the book and be able to say to her, go on with what, which I did in the end. And I wrote a little history book on the history of Australia, <laughs> which mum kept for a long time. What sports did you play at primary school? There were only, uh, it was, I played football and cricket, which everybody played, and I played basketball outside of primary school, because so, my family were basketball, my auntie's a Hall of Famer. And did you play, what club What club was that with? Played with North Adelaide uh, in my primary years and, and after, but I left them for Forestville later. In primary school, was there any structured sports like athletics, like Sapsaza or anything I would have competed in? No little athletics in those days, nothing at all. Sports day at primary school was a sprint and a whole lot of little relay games, uh, games as in corner spry and all these sorts of things. And I can remember getting beaten quite comfortably by a girl runner. They lined all the year seven, sixes or sevens or whatever you were in and she beat us. She was very good. Uh, I came in not too badly, but there was no distance race at all. Yeah, moving on from primary school, what high school did you attend? I attended uh, Brighton Tech, Boys Tech, and then went to Seacombe High School when they discovered I might have had a brain. <laughs> and did the same thing at high school. Did you get into different sports at high school or did you start? I did a lot of different sports at high school. I, 
I was actually um, captain of the cricket team and and captain coach of the basketball team, but I played uh, table tennis, uh, definitely football, a major sport of mine as well at the time. So they were they were my main sports and. And I seriously started to, to want to run. I always wanted to run, even in primary school, when I used to run home at lunchtime. I always wanted to be a runner, and I used to say to my mum, often, I want to join a running club. There's no running for you too young. So, and there wasn't any. There was no little athletics in those. So who was your first athletics coach? The first coach was Hartley Wheeler. And uh, where did they train? He trained uh, mainly in Adelaide, uh, around the parklands in Adelaide. I can remember... Some pretty hard ten. He had a very good group of juniors when I first started, and uh, we used to I, one day of the week we used to run a, a ten mile around the city on a Saturday morning. I think it was. Well, it was brutal. So how old it was were a you? Race. How old were you then? <laughs> Sixteen. Oh wow, ten mile runs, and, uh, but at quite a pace, was it? Yes. So you always knew it was a distance event that you'd be doing at that age, or? I love winning, so distance <laughs> didn't matter. <laughs> the distance picked me. <laughs> I know when I ran against you, it was always you. You were good at fours and eights as well. Like you, you were in the A Division One eight four hundred race. Yes, which was I. Um, I did, but I always had the the international approach that you make. And I think I don't know who told me this right from the start, but you make a team in your best event. I and mean, if you go away on an Australian team in an event, and the steeple was the event I could make Australian teams for, you could run anything when you're away. And I could run 1500s and miles and 2Ks and whatever when I was away, but I wanted to. So what was the first state team you made? I started running when I, I went I went to a, an all-schools championships and a state school boys in those days. Nobody from the school came. So my dad came out with me. I can remember running the 800 there and my dad saying, just go to the front and don't let anyone go past you. It's simple. So I did right up until the last three or four metres. I changed my tactics in the 1500, ran the steeple and fell over twice in the water jump in two laps. And Dad came over and said, you can't, you've got to stop. Never do that event again, it will kill you. And I said, that's going to be my event. That was, at the, that was in about October that that was on. And in the March, I, made, I beat a guy, Peter Scollum, that had been the champion steeplechaser for a fair while. I beat him in the state title and... Got to the Nationals in Brisbane back in about 19, I don't know what, 69 or something. So I remember Kerry O'Brien winning the 5,000 there in the steeple. So was that a junior event? Or it was under, the juniors. Yeah, back then. Yep. And you won that event? No, no. I wasn't even in the field when I, they made a mistake and left me out of the field. <laughs> there was about 22 in the race. It was on grass at St. Lucia and they started me on the outside of the field. And I had no idea how to run properly. In a field like that, I ran wide the whole way. I was clearly second when this New South Wales guy had just sort of broken away, and uh, I spat the chewy. Only time in my life I spat the chewy. I slowed down, and uh, it wasn't until just before the line when two guys got past me that I accelerated again. I thought I got them, but I didn't. I came fourth, and I never ever forgot that. It was n- never again was I ever going to to be arrogant. And lose a position because of being that, being silly, being <laughs> expecting to win or or nothing else counted. So after those national performances, had you st- were you still with the same training squad, or had you? I was still with Hartley Wheeler. Yeah. Uh, the the following, I was with him for a couple of years till I was at university. Uh, first year at university, I think. 
I went to a national cross-country in Sydney and there was record rainfall. Uh, I remember they, they were going to, uh, might have had to cancel it because a little creek was overhead height and a guy called Tony Bart had to actually swim through it. It had gone down a fair bit, but he was short and he had to swim through it or he would have drowned. I fell over on a rock on a corner, unknown at the time. I'd actually fractured a bone. Later on, Hartley Wheeler just said it was in my mind and I was going for the Australian record for the one-hour run. I was in real distress and trouble and and ended up forcing people to take me to a doctor to have a um, to have an X-ray. And what had happened was that the bone had actually come apart, and by keeping running it, it jarred back perfectly together. Mm. It was a one in a million chance. Otherwise, I would have been a not been a runner at all. So and I said to my dad, "I'll never train with him again." So you t- stretched out the tendons, did you? Like twisted well, the, the bone way. broke right through and just lifted and then went back. I oh, don't know wow. how. The the specialist kept, he wanted to keep the, the x-ray, he said, it's a one in a million, and uh, he kept it, kept it for for use or whatever. But the funniest thing was that my brother had fractured his bone in the same area and it went back and shattered the top of the bone. So his sport, sporting career, which was very good footballer and basketballer, seriously affected by that. So as a, as a junior in 1971, you were second in the Australian 1500 metres championships. Where that competition? Perth, I think. That was fifteen hundred meters. And who who who'd you run against in that back then? Or no, <laughs> too long ago. No, fifteen hundred was it was I I did fifteen hundred once more at a at a nationals, and it cost me uh, probably a higher medal in the steeple because you had to run the heat in the final and then run the steeple the third day, and I was tired. Mm. You could definitely run a lot faster with good guys around you. I can remember just absolutely sprinting in the straight, trying to get it just to get into the final. It was harder to get into the final than it was to much harder. And they used to run races a fair bit quicker in those days. You then just really specialised in 15, uh, 3,000 steeples for the next 17 years, really, uh, at a national level. Um, so do, did you make Australian squads at that sort of in the 70s? Did yes. you go away about your first Australian? My first Australian team, I was late getting into I mean, there weren't many opportunities for Australian teams in those days. And I was very unlucky back in the in the 70s. I represented Australia in Australia-New Zealand clash and won, won the steeple in that at one stage. But I went, uh, I won in 82 and I was fairly highly ranked worldwide. And I made a team to go away to England and run uh, in Europe. Uh, test matches against other countries in Europe and that sort of thing. So that was really my first overseas experience at running for Australia. And who did you go away with on those, a team situation? It was a team situation. Um, Pat Clohesy was the coach. I can't remember who the manager was. Uh, I used to room with a guy called uh, Burke that won the 800 in in the Brisbane Commonwealth Games. And we were a pretty interesting couple on a trip. Occasionally Mm. talked to by the manager. We uh, it, it was a really good trip. We had a very good team. Uh, Steve Austin was a five thousand runner, and there was a it was a very good team. And um, was it just three thousand steeples you did on that? Oh. I did um, I did a, a three thousand in Hull, and I did I might have done a fifteen hundred somewhere as well. But I kind of I mean they were just lead up races when we arrived. I got actually quite sick. I started I ran the um, it was a match against the US, England and Sweden in at Crystal Palace, about 14,500 people and I was actually 
was a guy, Marsh, that had been the top in the world the two years previously, and I was actually introduced as the world number one at the time. But unfortunately, I'd uh, got dysentery from the water, and I had a, and I'd caught the flu. I didn't know it until after the race, but I was in hospital for two and a half days after that. The only reason I came out after two and a half days was that they were going to Poland. <laughs> and I had to, uh, had to follow them. So uh, I was pretty sick for the first day and then got back into training. And how long was those, that tour for? Was that? I think it went, seemed like a long time at the time, but it was probably only about four weeks or five weeks. It was leading into the Brisbane Commonwealth Games. Uh, so it was a it was a trip to give people a good run. I don't think it was a great idea because I wasn't used to racing on track all year and all of a sudden I'm racing on track all year and travelling overseas and getting the flu and then travelling home and getting the flu. So it wasn't a perfect lead up and it did cost me, in the end, probably cost me getting in the Commonwealth Games. So when you came back from that, did you do nationals as well? Uh, I'd been undefeated for about a year and a half in the yeah. steeple uh, when I come back from that, I had the flu again and was really sick. And people were willing to give me a, uh, a certificate not to run in the trials in Brisbane. This was in October or whatever. Uh, the nationals weren't going to be until after that. So I, but I wanted to run, and people were virtually guaranteeing that I was in the team as number two in the Commonwealth and and all those sorts of things. But uh, in the trials, I fell on the last water jump. I slipped and fell. It was, the problem with the water jump was it was a new track. It was the first time they'd run on it, the QE2 track in Brisbane, and they'd made the water jumps out of the the wooden water jump supports out of hardwood, and they'd painted it, and they painted a number of coats to make it, and so therefore the, it was very easy for the the spikes weren't penetrating and they were slipping, and on that last lap when you're a little bit tired, uh, they slipped out from under me. And I went sideways, basically, into the water and probably made another mistake, although the, the selection setup was difficult. It was it was early when they were trying to make selection things and they said, well, the winner of the trial automatically goes and then other qualified ones will be looked at. Well, I was the only one that was qualified in Australia. And when I fell, Peter Larkins, whose dad was the AA vice president, didn't fall and won the trial. They claimed the position. They can't put a, if they put a non-qualified person in the team, they couldn't put a qualified person in the team, even though I was number two in the Commonwealth. I was left out. And there was no protesting back in those days, really, was no... No, there was a little bit of a... No, there wasn't. Not there like was a little bit of a sort of a... People were complaining and the press was sort of making a deal out of it, even in Melbourne, because uh, two weeks later I ran against Larkins. Wouldn't run the steeple, so I went in the 1500 and beat him. And uh, I was basically chasing him and then... In the end, my dad said to me, what are you doing? You know, they're not going to change. I sort of went a little bit off the, not off the rails. I just went, I just lost my desire for a little while. It took me a little while to get my desire back. So the next year's nationals, I came about fourth or fifth. I was just running like a shell. Then I got back. In that period, like who was your training group? Did you have it? Were you training by yourself or did you have a, a bit of a training? I had interesting setup. Adelaide didn't have a lot of coaches good coaches. I trained with a guy called Alan Barlow for a number of years over in Melbourne and that got Peter Larkins to him to train with me and we trained together for a while but that didn't sort of work as well as it could have. When you're, <clears throat> when you're the number one and two you don't tend to always get on well. You both want to win. Although we did get on pretty well. I uh, What I did, somebody said to me at one stage that uh, you've got a degree in phys ed, why don't you use your own smart? 
and research what you do for an assignment. So I started doing that. Um, I discovered the Lydia training and the, the physiology, everything about it just fitted right. So I started doing that. That was back in, in, in sorry, leading into 82. And I went from an 842 steeplechaser to an 831, 830.8 hand time. It made a big difference. What I did then was I got together a group of people. So I had a guy called Dean Tonkin who helped me with my track work and my hurdling. And I had a, a sports psychologist friend of mine that did a sports, sorry, he was a doctor of psychology and he in nurse education and everything. And he did a sports psychologist course and he helped me and we worked on some pretty new theories that he wrote up in the medical journal as well and are used now. And so I had people in areas looking after me. I had a massage guy and I had a doctor that really followed me a fair bit as well. So I had all these people, but I did, I had a squad of people training with me. I was coaching them, but they were really being coached to help me in a lot of ways. That was my early coaching. And, and, and when I look back on it, they were, they were just as much helping or more helping me than I was probably helping them. But I did my best for them as well. And they, some of them ran really, really well. And that group, did some of those kids go on to nationals as well, your training partners? Oh, some of them were adults. Yeah, even guys like Bob Lang improved. It was about a 9, 10 steeplechaser, went down to 8.50, and he went to a nationals. Uh, there, there were uh, Ray Hardwick, went very well, was a good steeplechaser. At one stage, uh, Jim Simmons was a very good junior steeplechaser. Um, he actually came down from Loxton and lived with us a year and went to Seacombe High when I was at high school to train with me. So, so where were you guys training then? What, what oh, that that early, that early, mm-hmm. uh, we trained with we were training with Hartley back at high school. Yeah. But later on, um, I trained at the uni track uh, or the college track in Adelaide mm-hmm. in the Parklands for the track sessions. Yeah, and Unley High where I was teaching. So while you were at Teachers College, did you have to work as well? So you're doing athletic service, you're training quite a bit, and Teachers College, were you working as well? Were you trying to fit everything in, or you were lucky enough just to be able to go to uni? And I uh, worked at Christmas time. I've got a lot of family in the country, and there's plenty of places I could cut apricots, pick apricot, pick grapes, and even work on the farms, pick peas, whatever. I did whatever was going, and I'd stay with my cousins, and I'd train. In under brutal conditions, sometimes in Renmark and those places, as far as heat went. Um, I uh, didn't work during the year. I was really lucky at one stage when I was going through uni. A uh, lad was going through as a bookmaker and he was uh, learning, doing maths so he could be better at bookmaking. And they had somebody in the, they knew somebody in the hay stable. And it was just when the without fear horses were coming in. And we would go to the races and have one bet, and we were actually making a lot of money. Uh, that person got found out later on, had a training accident, but um, we we made we made a lot of money. Uh, money wasn't, and my parents were because they were sporting parents, and uh, you either want to do it seriously or you don't want to do it at all. So I um, they helped me a lot too. You also ran a pretty handy three k flat three k time. Do you remember what your PB was for three? Unofficially, I ran 7.50. Yeah. I uh, ran in Europe and set set the pace for a 5K at one stage and really ran them hard uh, just to get get a time. Um, I uh, My best time in a race, we only used to run 3,000 metres in Adelaide when the temperature was too hot. Mm-hmm. And I ran 8.02 on a day of about 40 degrees mm-hmm. against a New South Wales guy called Murphy. 
and the two of us just wiped out the South Australians totally. And he outkicked me in the straight, which isn't all that often, out getting outkicked. But he was good. He was good. And we ran very fast that day. Time. Mm. <laughs> Even look at people today and... Especially if the 5,000 has been cancelled because it's too hot. And they put, they put you over 3,000. It's a filler race. It was pretty good. So moving after the Commonwealth Games, was there other teams that you made, other Australian squads? In 84, I won the National in 8.34, which was an Olympic qualifying time. I beat Ken Martin, who came fifth in the Olympics. He was an American who lined up on the track on the day. It was, I remember the day because it was windy. It was one of those windy Melbourne days when it was raining and windy. And the pace for the first... I went straight to the lead because I knew I had to get, get a, a time. And at about a third the way into the race, uh, the American guy passed me. No, I led most of the race. Somebody passed me about a third the way into the race. And then I passed them again two laps later with a, about a kilometre to go. Uh, it looked like the Ken Martin was going to run away from me because I I was having trouble with the the discus was on in the in the ring right near the steeple jump going into the back stretch and I was messing up that that hurdle a little bit so I just took it steady through that hurdle on the last lap that allowed Ken Martin to get away probably five or six meters but my best jump's the water jump and I caught him again on the water jump and and beat him down the home stretch. Uh, I can remember being really angry in that race because nobody knew he was going to run and he just, no one even knew he was warming up and he just rocked up on the track and Athletics Australia let him. I'd obviously arranged it but kept it very quiet. I was a bit annoyed that I didn't know to be able to psych up for that run a little bit better (laughs) to know that he was there and it changed the race pretty totally. Uh, Luckily, I still led. Uh, Sometimes I might have changed totally. But I just went for it anyway. Wow. But it was that was probably my best steeple run of my life, except for the one uh, when I ran 8:31 flat uh, in Adelaide. When I ran it, ran it, ran on. Basically, told them at the starting line I was going to run them all into the ground. Last man standing for this race, and that was to Peter Larkins, mate. That whoever wins this race will be the last person standing. And I ran the first four laps. So Brian Chapman was saying over the microphone that I ran the first four laps in world. Record pace. <laughs> and then hung on. <laughs> no one got you anyway. So you had a, that was a pretty good era because you went 82, 84, 86, you're Australian champ. At that block. And injuries in between. Oh, injuries, the, uh, 85 was that year. Uh, sorry, 83 was that year after I didn't make the Commonwealth Games. Mm. And I really had gone. I, I even went with my girlfriend over to Melbourne for that and she wanted a holiday. And I really wasn't mentally set up for that run. But that made me realise that you don't take a girlfriend along <laughs> unless they're very committed and they're not there for their own holiday. Yeah. And it, it turned me around straight away. I knew I'd made a lot of mistakes that year. 86, I was uh, uh, coming back in 86, I'd had injuries all year and I did all uh, the previous year and I struggled and all of a sudden things sort of came right. I didn't even qualify for the nationals in the state titles. I couldn't qualify. That was my first race. In the meet two weeks before the Nationals, I actually qualified and then I came to the Nationals and and won it. Uh, I I was, yeah, I just won it. I knew that always my psyching was that I've done this before, I'll do it again. I mean, I only have to get a certain amount of training in and I'm good enough 
I'm better than most of the others, so I can do it. And that's the way I used to think. Then even in the late, sort of even moving, you still were dominating and doing very well, like top three. At all. So what was the incentive then? Was it trying to qualify for the Los Angeles Olympics and things? Was obviously mm. that you, just before the Los Angeles Olympics when you yep. sort of had a big era of just winning. Unfortunately, before the Los, uh, after that race, and not long after that race, I was running a 5,000 state title in Adelaide, which was on after the nationals. I was running at around 13.45 pace with two and a half laps left to go and I ruptured my Achilles. So I had to stop. I carried it for about a lap and a half, so probably about four laps out. just felt like a knife went into my Achilles. And I, uh, once I stopped, I couldn't even walk and I had to have an operation on, on it in the end. So what year was that? Was that 80, was 84. 84, oh gosh. So that was the end of that. <laughs> I tried to, to, uh, I tried to ignore it and I was hobbling. I wasn't, uh, yeah, it was no good. In the end, I had to go into plaster and have an operation in the end. So where did you have the surgery? Who was the Adelaide? Or? It was a guy in North Adelaide. Might have been a guy called Maguire. I'm not sure. Yeah. Was it stapled or had to be restapled? Or? No, it hadn't completely pulled apart, so I don't know what they did. Mm. Just connected part of it together, and I stayed in plaster. I think that was what they should have done, and they put me in plaster for... Uh, a lot longer than it should have been to get it to heal up, but mm. probably it was better to have it heal that way than mm. than anything else. So. so then you had a couple of years of just getting it back, getting back to your old self. So was that pretty hard, Yaka, getting the Achilles loosened up again to run, or no. did it come up? I think it came up pretty well. I I was pretty good at. I would research things. I mean, if I had a, I would just research and. The Americans are amazing on the internet mm. <laughs> and you can find out all sorts of ways of fixing things and it's uh, helped me to help other people as well since mm. then. I can't remember any major problem, but in 87 I went to Scotland and exchange taught and ran for Aberdeen uh, Harriers over there for a year and uh, <laughs> surprised a few people because nobody knew I was coming and just asked if I could run in some races and, and went very well and then all of a sudden probably became a little bit of a cult figure uh, in Scotland because I was wearing tights all summer because it was too cold. <laughs> and uh, the one day that it was pretty warm, it was about 27 and humid, I wore tights anyway just to do the whole season. So uh, their TV station was following me around and I was the usual Ocker site comments and yeah, it was pretty good. And, and Aberdeen had a great year. They had a guy from Wales as well. Uh, running distance and the, and uh, we actually made the semi-finals of the all British uh, like the FA Cup of, of running over there and went down to Haringey and took on virtually the Olympic English Olympic team with uh, Daly Thompson and Regis and all these guys at, at Haringey. It was amazing. I think I was one of the few that actually got a place because Daly Thompson and Regis and everybody didn't run steeples. <laughs> <laughs> and, and was that uh, a paid gig or just not? Are you getting paid to race or getting... No, I volunteer. Look, um, the reason I kept going, there was a question you asked earlier why, what I was aiming for in my later career. Mm. And I always said that uh, I ran because I loved it and it was a bonus that I was good at it. And all the things I got out of it were just a bonus. Uh, at the same time, I was driving to get to as far as I could. At the end of my career, I just love running and I just wanted to keep running. And and I started to augment um, professional running in amongst the... And that sort of revived me and kept me going for a few more years. 
So you're Bob, you're Bob Lange, both sort of started that. Yeah. I think Lange was a little bit before me. Yeah. All of a sudden he rocked up, but everyone knew him at Enfield yeah. when I was running for Enfield, so I didn't know him up until then. Mm. Bob Hunter and me started around the same time. Right. And uh, that was quite a long relationship with um, running with the Athletics League, which still continues today. I ran my first year, my first year of running with the Athletic, with the athletic League, uh, a guy called Billy Neal, who's a friend of the family, because a lot of my family played league football, and uh, under Neil Curley in most cases, and and Billy Neal was his fitness coach, and, and he was trying for a couple of years to get me to, to run pros, and in the end, I sort of said, oh, I might give it a try. I come from a family of bookmakers and horse owners and different things, so I knew knew my gig as far as stall had bookmakers and the whole works. So my idea was to win stall, and uh, Billy Neil <laughs> Billy Neil didn't quite know how to handle me because my form was really poor, and then it got better and better as we went on. And I came third at a race at Marion. He said, "Where did you go between the run?" And I said, oh, "I went down to Flinders and did eight four hundreds, and then I came third in the." in the final of this race, uh, which was a big improvement on what I'd done. And he said, you couldn't have, well, I had. And at uh, stall later in the year, I won the double, the mile and the two mile. Uh, in the mile, I had some guys put money on for me. In fact, around $2,000, averaging around five and a half to one it worked out at, to, that I won. Uh, so I won what, 11, 13, whatever thousand, and won a fair bit more on the Monday, going to the bookies and actually saying, uh, I know who'll win this. You give me, you know, I had me even money, even though I'd been pulled 80 metres from the mile. I said, I'll win this by 40. You guys give me double that price, two to one, and I'll win it, and you can you can put 10 to one the rest of the field if you want. And they did it. They uh, won again, so I won. <laughs> um, and the uh, handicapper said to me something like, you'll win over my dead body the next time you win. And I remember saying to him, how are you feeling? <laughs> so it was a bit of fun. It took me five years to win another race oh, dear. at stall, and that was a different <laughs> handicapper that felt sorry for me. So, was he being vengeful? <laughs> it was. It was good. I. The reason I coach is because my style of athletics. I've loved every minute of what I've done, on and off the track, and um, and that's why I coach. Mm. So in a couple of weeks' time, I'm taking a group of my under-20s over to the Victorian Road Tiles at Ballarat, and they'll have a good time, as well as run. Mm. And it'll be a business trip until they run, but we'll have a good time as well, and they'll learn a lot. And it's that sort of thing that we do. We go to the country championships in Victoria, or we go to the state championships in Victoria, or, or we have a training camp at Murray Bridge. It's that sort of... And, and, and Falls Creek, some of them are going to Falls Creek. It's that sort of thing that you bring into it, because... Athletics a hard sport, but I always loved it. I, I love the hard parts. You do the hard parts. Sometimes you don't like them, but you have a lot of fun and make a lot of friends outside of that. The you um you last the last nationals performance eighty eight eighty nine. Do you remember that last time you ran? Hmm. I've got a um a scar all the way along from the big toe to the back of the foot. What had happened was somewhere along in that season I'd. I'd torn the tendon to my big toe and it wasn't working. And I remember my hurdling was going really poor, very poor. I couldn't couldn't work out what was wrong. Didn't know that the big toe wouldn't bend at all. And therefore, it's, I mean, that's a technical event in getting into the hurdles. In all those years of learning, you know exactly the distance you need to be away and, and speeding up and whatever. And all of a sudden it changed. And I think in that race, 
I should have won that by probably 150 metres. I had my hands on top of a couple of hurdles. I was stopping at hurdles. I really, everything went wrong. Everything went wrong that could have gone wrong. I could not work out what was wrong and I didn't get beaten by very much. I uh, And then found out not that long after that I had to have an operation on that tendon of that foot and they never did get the toe to bend. It wouldn't work at all at that stage. They got the toe working straight after that. And that was uh, a Dr. Redman from SportsMed. My start was SportsMed. Oh. Uh, that fixed that up. I was in hospital over Christmas for that. Just going back for horrific injuries, there is a very famous steeple injury that you have done for our people listening in. It's, it's on lots of physiotherapist walls when you go in. With you, can you explain that what you did when you did your that ankle? Well, well that was a hard. That it's was an amazing photograph. That was a. It wasn't by far. It wasn't the worst injury I had, and I was racing. I raced two weeks after. As I said earlier, in that trial for Commonwealth Games in '82, the wood was too hard. They made a hard wood, and it has to be a, a medium sort of wood for the top of a steeple, so that the, so that the spikes can actually enter it. Uh, they painted it so much with whatever paint it was probably the wrong paint as well, a glossy paint. And in the end, I slid on top and landed. Really, I'd lost, lost. And I landed on the ankle, but the ankle was way over to one side. It. Uh, I was probably lucky that I did a lot of distance work. My my ligaments and tendons uh, were very strong. Bone density was extremely strong. Some people, when I've been skiing and I've had some pretty bad accidents skiing, um, doctors have come up and said, you've got to be a runner. So I really, that wasn't really the worst injury I had. It was, uh, it was just the worst timing of an injury that you could have or the worst timing of an accident that you could have. I think if they had YouTube back then, it would have gone number one. <laughs> Mm. <laughs> when you look at all the American football injuries mm. and it, just the look of it, it looked, but it did twang sort of straight back in, did it? Is that what sort of happened? The tennis yep. was so tight, it went way out, then went climbing yep. straight back no, in. It did go yeah. back in again. I've done that clearly. I myself. actually limped to the line and got caught on the line by the third place getter, right on the line. A guy that would never, ever beat me. Little Queensland guy. He's a nice guy. I shouldn't, shouldn't have got out of the water. I should have stayed in the water after that fall. Now, um, then your career sort of. Um, Moving on in your career, you've done a lot of coaching. Can we just talk about your coaching? Like you've had great success. You've had great success with steeplechase runners and middle distance runners, 800 metres. Can we just talk a bit about your coaching life? Uh, you obviously mentioned even in high school you were coaching basketball team. I so, coached uh, athletics. My first at Mawson, at Brighton Tech, I basically started coaching. And a teacher came to our school called Brenton Norman, who was a, a, a marathoner, Australian champion at one stage, and he went to a Commonwealth Games. And he helped out to a certain extent. He wasn't, I mean, he was into his own athletics. But every lunchtime we ran two miles and our team won the, uh, the secondary schools championship when, when nobody even heard of us as a team. And I was basically coaching them. We ran a couple of miles every lunchtime down from Brighton Tech, which is Mawson High, which is now St. Mary's or whatever. We used to have a course that would run down to the beach and King Street, I think, and then along the, to the jetty and up, up there and then back along the railway line to the school. And we had a number of guys doing it. Ray Hardwick was in that. He started in that and got him into running. So I was virtually coaching then or mentoring the, the team. Uh, Seacom High was exactly the same. And there was a guy called Russ Nagel that was a really good runner. I can remember Jim Simmons coming down and living with us and we had to get a mate of mine that played footy to run us the third runner and we got another guy that would just 
wanted to do a bit of jogging and we got first, second, seventh and about second last in those secondary schools and we lost by by about one point for the team's championship to uh, Unley High, which was yeah, Ian Oliphant and a whole lot of good runners that they had that were under Harley Wheeler and we just, just missed beating them. And we had no real running tradition. We were more football at uh, Seacombe High. We actually won the knockout cup that year. So coaching, yes, and I coached the juniors. And when I left school, the under-15 team won, won the uh, secondary schools uh, championship. And Russ Nagel was a very good runner at the time uh, that I coached for a while. I used to coach them on a reserve not very far from this house now, just down the end of the street and slightly to the to the right. It was a small reserve and they used to run laps around the trees in there. <laughs> it was good. And we used to run at lunchtime from Seacombe along Seacombe Road down to a letterbox and turn around and come back again. It was part of our lunchtime. High-tech track. Very high-tech. <laughs> and it's amazing, isn't it? It doesn't have to be complicated. No. Uh, people today seem to make things sound so complicated to get good performance out of it. Yes. It, it's a very strange thing. If you can make it sound complicated, it must be But well, it, it's just yeah. doing the work, isn't it? It's just getting the work out. Well, we had a tyre place, a good example of that. We had a tyre place just over on the corner of Sturt and Morfitt Road, and I went over and got some old tyres once and some rope, and we were pulling tyres, and all of a sudden people thought, oh, that's a good idea. So they obviously got onto the running books and paid money for these little little weight things to pull them along. Sleds. And I mean, we were pulling tyres, and sometimes the tyres on a on a wet night would flick up and start chasing the girls. They'd be rolling <laughs> after them. They'd be running trying to stay away from them. But that made them stronger. And uh, we, we, I mean, we kept it simple. Uh, we did our long runs, but the long runs were at talking pace, 65 to 75% effort. I've been lucky enough to have nine, nine, I think now, internationals. I had two this year. Uh, yeah, nine that have represented Australia that I've coached, and uh, and I would like to think that I've not just developed uh, good runners, but I've developed good young people as well. Yeah. In the last few years as well, you've had a lot of your successful athletes go over to Marisos. Yeah, it's sort of a bit withering, really. <laughs> you get these fantastic juniors going, and then they're yes. just straight off to America College. I think I think the Americans are giving um, my runners definitely deserved. Uh, Eleanor Waterworth was a three times she won three national under 20 titles and they all ranked very highly nationally in open when she won her junior races in four days uh, Izzy Bat Doyle uh, improved out of sight I knew she had a good engine from her little athletics days she'd been meandering around doing nothing and I said why don't you come out and give it a try she qualified for the world junior steeple would have made the world juniors should have made it coming second in the national only a meter behind the winner, she should have won the national. She led in. She led into the last water jump, and there was a girl they were lapping, and she got out of the way of the that girl. Went out wider to let the girl behind her go through as well. And by doing that, the Sydney water jump is on an angle. It threw her hurdle off. She dropped back probably two meters and lost by a meter. If she'd run her line like she should have, she would have got through that water jump straight. And she would have won that race. I've got no doubt. She caught a meter on the girl, and that girl would have been two or three meters behind. She would have had to flick out, and she would have had the trouble coming into that jump. So it was nice of her to do that, but it, I said at the time that it cost her. And a girl that didn't even run in it got in. Her mum was a, a life member of Athletics Australia and, and high up on her grandmother, sorry. And uh, she got in and Tams it, Tams it, whatever, Tams it. And she uh, never ran. She was in the 5,000, which she qualified for, 
she ran the 5,000, ran poorly and didn't even run the steeple. And I told them that she wouldn't run the steeple, that she couldn't run three events in, no. in three days. And they still put her in and she never ran it. And she hardly has run anything since. But Izzy went to America after that. So they both deserved their trips. Far too many going now that are fairly average athletes. Uh, the American system is like, like, it's like sports days every weekend at high school level. And uh, it, at some of the universities, the lower ones that some of them are going to, and uh, they race too often and they get Mickey Mouse degrees. I'm not sure that they're the best. If you've got a good parent back up at home and you've got pretty good coaching, you're far better off to stay home mm. unless you're a very good athlete and you're at a high-level college. And you're really at yeah, a high-level college and also check before you go with the interviews here that whatever qualification is actually That's useful right. back here. You just That's do your right. homework. You've got to do your homework. If you just That's jump right. on the first ship, you're it, crazy, but it, you've got to... Even even more than that, and, and what we tried to do is very much quiz the coaches. Mm. I mean, you can go over and get a totally reppy coach that works on hard ground all the time. Uh, we found out with Eleanor that they can tell you one thing and do another, and she was injured just about the whole time she's been away and and is now living in Melbourne and not doing running, which is a real pity. But mm. uh, she was by far the best girl talent that, that I had. Uh, to do what she did at that national under-20 titles and to win a bronze medal at a world schools cross-country. She won that from being the number three runner and uh, in a world championship you get one line at the starting line and your team starts in an order of that line. She would have been three back of the six runners and she's come third, uh, six seconds behind the African girl that won it. To to start off three or four, you are midfield at the start of a run. It was a 4K race. She did an amazing effort, and she pulled that team through to to a winning team effort as well. That was and a good run. A male athlete talking before the broadcast. My my best male athlete would be Chris Stapleton. Mm. He ran at seventeen. He he was only just seventeen, and he ran one fifty flat for eight hundred. Very sad that other influences came into his life. I've had been lucky enough to have a lot of pretty good athletes. We've had at one stage, I think my group. In senior medals in South Australia, in, at the Nationals, we were something like three times the number of medals that the rest of the state had won in men and women at the Nationals for about a period of eight years. We were, we were three, three times the whole of SA were winning <laughs> at national senior level. Senior level, yeah. And, uh, yeah, one of those things. And, and this year, I think I've got a couple of athletes... Uh, pulled a group through from being basically almost little athletes and three of them are under 20s now and two of them will turn senior beginning of next year and uh, they are running really well and developing along. Uh, the girl runners very good, doing all the, the right things uh, to be to be a very good runner. So those mean that we're back into seniors again where we had we've had a continuous run at the steeplechase for a number of years. We had the first, I think the first 15 years, we had the state record. A girl called, in the women's, Jane Mudge held the first one, um, Christy Villas, and then we went on to Tara Palm, and one or two runs that she ran it. So we've had, uh, well, we forgot someone, Leanne Turner, before before Christy Villas. So we had four individuals that, that held the, the state record, and all won national medals. So Tara won national medals in a number of events. 
with all the um, different sorts of injuries you had, and you talked about losing weight to me, has that changed the way you coach women or coach your squad? Have you got theories that you use with them to help protect them, be it not get injured, just build them up as a strong athlete? I think the main strategy of uh, weight control, you get a lot of under-20 athletes that put on weight and they give it away. And if you look nationally, it's the endurance-based distance runners, the ones that do a lot of long, slow, slow, medium running, not slow running, but medium running, talking pace running, they get through that period without a problem. It's the people that do the more anaerobically based or faster high-end work all the time that tend to put on the weight because you're not actually burning. It takes 20 minutes to burn, uh, to start, to start burning fat. And if you keep stopping, the metabolism doesn't tend to burn fat like it should. It uses stored energy. So number one thing, we do these long runs. And so I don't have to really worry about weight at all. Sometimes uh, we had one athlete uh, that comes from a very big family. And if she had a three-week break at the end of the season, she'd put on weight and we'd had trouble getting, getting that off. She's about the only one. We don't tend to have a lot of problem because they're burning the energy aerobically in those long runs. That's not every training session, but that's in those long runs. The other advantage of, of those long runs, as long as they're wearing good protecting shoes that give the midfoot a lot of protection, they are also building up their bone density. So we don't tend to have, I think we've had probably two or three stress fractures in the last 20 years. And that's in girls. The boys have not had any. So... Um, and that's the other protection that that sort of training. So we don't really have a lot of a lot of problem with it. I've had had one girl I got out of being an anorexic girl once she admitted that she might have been, but we've not had people going into it very at all. I don't think. I think um, with the surfaces as well. I think you don't actually go on the tarp much for training. I believe it like you. I think with that, uh, there are groups in Adelaide that. that explicitly trying to think that'll toughen them up more but you, you tend to be on the off the track on grass different surfaces and then race and race well I, I i totally agree with that and and the reason i agree with that is that you you'll tend to see runners that train on the track or on hard, hard ground too many roads and whatever if you can run on tracks you run on tracks and that's what we try and do at times um, you've got to have really good padded shoes otherwise uh, even more careful with your shoes if you're running on roads all the time, but sometimes you have to. Your style, you'll, you'll see runners that run on the track, they tend to, to look jarred up and they run to protect from jarring. And what you want is a nice open style of running and that, that comes from running on softer surfaces. So so a long time of running all the time on hard surfaces tends to change the style and it's not just a natural style either and that's that's not good at all because that that then uh, in trying to protect from jarring you actually jar more and uh, they tend to have stress fractures a lot more than i had a runner that didn't have a stress fracture all her life and she went to a coach and trains um, mainly because she was a sprint hurdler or a hurdler 400 hurdler they put her in the sprint hurdles she's been injured ever since with a fracture and it's pretty sad but uh, she had basically been a year for that fracture to heal up and it's still not 100%. So her mum still trains with me. Um, it's it's a pity. I really haven't got a lot of time for for uh, 
for the sprints. That's the uh, to coach to coach that. I'd need to be a full time coach. You really need to have separate sessions. Mm. You can't just walk over occasionally and help the sprinter. So how many sessions would your elite athletes be doing a week? Let's say you've got an elite senior athlete. How many sessions a week? Running running sessions, Mm. uh, 10 to 12, probably 10 in most cases. Uh, I would have done 12 in my day. I'm not sure that you have to do 12 to be world class, uh, but they would probably do, do core strength at the start of most of our sessions, especially in summer. They all have mats. We buy cheap mats from Big W that we can use camping mats that you put your sleeping bag on and we use those as our gym mats at the start of a session to do core strength. Um, and they do some weights So as they, when they get to a certain age. Mm-hmm. Um, the under-14s under train three or four times a week. The under-15s train four or five times a week. Under-16, sorry. The under-18s train five or, five or six, three or four or five. Yep, five or six or seven, depending on... Well, five to seven sessions, depending on how serious they are. But under 20s step up to uh, 10 sessions if they want to go for world juniors or they want to be serious athletes. Mm. And they start the morning sessions, but they're purely recovery aerobic jogs in the, to speed up the recovery. And they will they'll start doing a, a little bit of weights as well. Do you have any opinions on the, uh, the amount of triathletes that are making Australian track teams at the juniors and senior triathletes? Yep. Yeah, it's quite obvious and, and no one seems to be able to see it. The, the athletes aren't conditioned well enough. Our athletes aren't conditioned. I mean, the world, the Australian record for 800 metres wasn't broken for years, years, since 1968. I think it's only been tied now. Mm. Um, and uh, in those days, they trained pretty hard. DeBell was a special talent with the, what he did, but they trained pretty hard. And... And guys like uh, Herb Elliott, Herb Elliott wanted to run the marathon in his last games in 1960. And there's not a person in that team that didn't think he could win the marathon, yet he won in world record time the 1500 metres because that was the sort of conditioning runs he was doing on a Sunday. He could do a 20-mile run quite quite comfortably. The cross-training, obviously, the uh, the triathlon, they basically do three sports. They don't do it as a triathlon, they do it has those three sports, and they train that heavily within it. But they, uh, but it, that conditioning level shows that uh, the conditioning of a lot of athletics coaches is lacking. But it, it's got to be careful. The long runs, one has to remember with the long runs that they are. You, you can you can't go too slow. What you're trying for in a long run is not to improve just your running, as in running faster each run. What you're doing is staying at a certain pace to adapt your physiology that then becomes the base, the foundation for the rest of your running. So you can produce, and and you have a look at the Australian champions over the years, and most of them came through that sort of setup, the very good ones, and they they set up this this amazing base with their physiology uh, that they could uh, use as a springboard to, to be good athletes from there. And um, you've had a long relationship, Mercedes College. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> yep, close. Oh, are you allowed to have mistakes in this? No, that's fine. Uh, sorry, I mean, I always do that, you know. I always call those. My wife went there and I shouldn't do it. Mm. Um, yeah, Mercedes College. So you've had a long history of running their track program, summer and winter, and being hot. Um, has that been, is that something you just love doing? Has that been? I got taken out to lunch 
and uh, offered offered the job. I never ever applied for it. I didn't even know. I didn't even, well, I knew where Mercedes was because I had a girlfriend years ago <laughs> that went to Mercedes. I had gone to Mercedes, um, and I'd coached basketball at Mercedes with uh, my special sports kids at Wirreanda. Um, so I knew where it was. They took me out to lunch. They offered me a job uh, as coaching, coordinating, as well as uh, teaching. I wasn't interested in full-time teaching anymore, and I offered, I went back and said, I'm not interested in teaching. I remember them asking me, how come I came out to lunch then? I said, oh, I was a free meal. <laughs> my dad always said, if there's a free meal, don't look a gift horse in the mouth. <laughs> but I gave them my offer, which was 60 relieving days a year minimum, or they pay me for them, and paying me for coaching coordinating. And I went there with the idea of just doing a few years. I thoroughly loved the kids. I loved the whole uh, Mercedes setup, parents, uh, the teachers, and the whole setup. So I've been there now. This is my 18th year. And I call the athletics uh, a tradition of excellence. And it's by far their most successful sport. So we get all the best kids, which you don't get in a high school. When I taught in high schools or coached in high schools, you had to coax the kids in. Here, the best ones are coming and they want to train and they want it. Well, they're willing, they listen, they train. And we've had unparalleled success, unparalleled in this state. We rarely lose if we lose something, we're the next team down. Uh, we've won 11 open boys championships at the secondary schools in that 17 years. And if we haven't won it, we've been placed. The next highest, I think, is over whole of history, not counting the last 17, 18 years, is Saints with about four. So we're, we've done very well. And same goes with the 100K relays, the traditional big relays that are on. We, we've been very good at it. And a good example of that is on the last day of school this term, I've got a girls team going away that won the championship and will be going away to represent South Australia and their college at in Hobart at the Nationals. Five of those young girls, one had to go back to Sydney. Her dad lives in Sydney, so she flew back to Sydney early. The other five were waiting for me. I hopped on a bike with them and we rode from Mercedes all the way down Thornton Road into the city a lap of Victoria Park and ran back. back. It was just an hour and one minute that they did. They were chatting the whole way. Was, I, I just looked at them and went, and I called them my little white uh, Kenyans. Um, <laughs> they, were, they, were, they were brilliant. And one of those girls that's going to that only gets in by four hours of being old enough to go to under 18. She would have been under 14s if she was four hours younger. And <laughs> she's one of the better runners. She's really quite keen. So... I mean, how can you not be motivated to do things when kids are, are willing to do that? Mm. I mean, that's just amazing. It, it's a lovely feeling to have a squad that want to do what they want to, you know, convincing them, which for any coach is irritating. Yes. <laughs> you want them just to say, and get on with it. If you thought about it 50 times, they have. <laughs> yep. I don't think I've ever, I think the only girl I've ever approached to run with me, the rest of all come to me, well, the only runner that I've approached that hasn't come to me uh, was a girl called Izzy Bat Doyle, who was at uh, had run. I saw her when she was young, run at a nationals, and she was pretty good, but she had no idea. Uh, and and her coaching was really just rep based and whatever. She went into rowing at Scotch, and uh, put on a bit of weight, and she came out of that. And I just had a word to her one day that I know you've got the engine, if you've got the desire, 
I'll make you a runner. And she'd had a number of injuries, and I said, and she said about the injuries, and I said, don't worry about that. We'll fix that up. Uh, if you've got the desire, you've got the engine. And and we got over the injuries in about six months, and a year after that, she was a world junior qualifier, and she's over in America now, at Washington, in Washington State, at a university. She's representing Australia at the World University Games uh, coming up, and she's run some pretty good times. Thirty-two. Just some very good ten thousand meter time. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, last question, Gary. What makes you happy? Oh, that's a that's an interesting question. Uh, a lot of things make me happy. I'm happy. I'm happy. It doesn't matter what level. And I coached a person once that wanted to break. Had run marathons for a long time and wanted to break three hours. And I think that that gave me as much pleasure when that person broke three hours as anyone else. So I get pleasure from somebody wanting to do athletics that sets an aim for themselves with the two of us working together, works towards that aim and then achieves it. And I get the pleasure of just looking them in the face when they're very happy about achieving what what they've achieved. That's in athletics is helping people to achieve it and at the same time along that road to achievement that they become good people, but they enjoy it. They enjoy the whole process. If they give away running... If they were to give away running, they give away a lot more than just running, uh, that they realise that, that, they, that there's a lot of fun in it. And uh, But life-wise, I mean, uh, I have a life outside of athletics as well, <laughs> and I love my wife, and we like travelling and doing things, and my wife runs, and I get a lot of pleasure out of her running and, and uh, helping her to achieve her aims along the way. I mean, there's, there's heaps of things that, uh, that I do I, I like teaching and teaching in a way that um, students respect me and I seem to be lucky enough that they tend to, to like me, but they don't have to like me. They have to respect what I do and, uh, and, and, what, I, and what I try and help. Everything is aimed at helping them and they should realise that. So there's, there's a whole lot of things. It's a much more complex question than it sounds <laughs> what makes me happy. That's fantastic. Thank you very much, Gary. It's always a pleasure to talk athletics. Thank you. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please subscribe and forward this podcast to your friends and family.